Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with my co-host, Katie Vernoy. And if you would do us a favor, wherever you listen to your podcast, if you wouldn't mind stopping by and leaving us a rating and a review. And today's episode, we are jumping into the world of grief. We are joined by the Grief Whisperer, the Rebellious Widow, Jill Johnson Young, LCSW, and she's here to tell us just how absolutely wrong Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is. So (laughs) thank you for joining us today, and we're really looking forward to this. Boy, that's a heck of an introduction, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We are so excited to have you here. You are a friend of the show and just an awesome person. So we're glad to have you on. Please let us know who you are and what you're putting out in the world. So I am a social worker in LCSW, and I am also a grief therapist. I do a lot of grief education, which I really love doing for social workers, for therapists, for the community to reframe how we do grief and to do it better. And so we can start doing for our clients what they really need, which is to see that grief has an end instead of being forever. I'm also now using the term grief rebel disruptor because I really want grief to be done right and done well. Ooh, you got to explain that more. Grief rebel disruptor. I spent some time with Nicola Morris, who does a lot of stuff in terms of planning how you do your stuff and how you put it out there. And after I outlined what my goals were for this year to be talking about grief and to bring it forward and to bring it into both the public eye and also up for therapists to see how they can be more helpful for their clients, how they can set up their practice to be better for grief clients, how they can change their perspective of grief to make it more friendly for those who've had a loss, especially if they haven't done grief work yet. We really decided that I like to disrupt how we think about grief. (laughs) And I'm just a little bit rebellious because I'm a social worker and that's what we do. And we're always part of being a social worker (laughs) is being an activist anyway, that's in our DNA. And I really think that although Kubler-Ross had some amazing stuff for anticipatory grief, we've waited way too long and used it far too long for people who are actually grieving after a loss. And we need to start looking at how we talk about that. This was one of my first thoughts is because as I look back on the education that I received around grief, which was very minimal, 
and you know for you know the whole death and taxes being the only things that we can <laughs> count on that <laughs> such little bit of time of therapist education is actually spent on on dealing with this and the little bit that was there was kubler ross's anticipatory grief which much to her credit, I know that she has come out in recent years and said, no, everybody is really misinterpreting what I said. And everybody's like, no, Elizabeth, you're actually wrong about what you said. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do give her credit for trying to correct the record. But you've been doing this for a while. How did you get ahead and put grief as your specialization before all of this really seems to be smacking everybody in the face? You know, I did hospice for a really long time. Um, I have more than a decade of hospice medical social work under my belt. Spent a long time in Florida where I started out as a medical social worker in hospice, going out and working with families and with dying folks, and then doing the grief follow-up afterward. And I just thrived on that. I love working with families before a death and after, which I know sounds a little odd to people who don't do grief and loss. <laughs> oh, it sounds awful to me. <laughs> It's something that a hospice person really thrives on because it's that, that moment with those families that you get to help them in what could be the worst time of their life and make it a normal, natural, supportive, healing part of their life. And you did see, and I did see the way that the anticipatory grief process worked. Kubler-Ross was absolutely on the money in terms of describing talking about death with someone who's dying. And that was what she did for us. She really mm -hmm. did bring out into the public eye many, many years ago now how to talk about death and, and what people who are dying are experiencing so their family members were not so flummoxed and didn't feel so targeted when their loved one was dying because they didn't quite get where they were going through. But when you try to apply that to someone after the fact and then you apply this common knowledge that we somehow seem to all share that's not really knowledge at all, that you know grief should take forever or grief should take a year or you shouldn't make any changes for the first year. There's all this common knowledge that's not really knowledge at all. And it can be hurtful. Yeah. And then I came out to California again. I returned and I did hospice here for a while in addition to doing adoptions with Child Protective Services for a long time, which also has lots of grief and loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing about child services that doesn't involve loss. And there's nothing about adoption that doesn't have loss intertwined in it. And I was also raised in a family where death is a normal part of life. My parents were older. I grew up going to funerals from the time before I can remember. And it was something we just did. And, and I kept running into people and therapists who were afraid of funerals, afraid of dying people, uncomfortable yeah. talking about it. And then I went and got myself widowed twice, and mm. that freaked people out a little bit. I developed a reputation as being the Black Widow, and now I'm married to a mortician, so we kind of do death <laughs> and die all day and all night. <laughs> we, we go to the prep room in the evening sometimes, and that's like date night. So, you know, it, it's part of what I do. And I think we should have it as more of our common conversation, because absolutely, Kurt, you're right. There's nothing you can do to escape this world without facing it. And yeah. every one of our clients is going to have had a loss. When we yeah. put on the movie Coco in our office, we have this fabulous waiting area and we've got the big screen TV. Coco is one of the kids' favorite movies. And it might freak the parents out a little bit, but the kids watch it and then they go see their therapist and they start talking about losses that nobody even knew was important to them. 
whether it was the goldfish or the hamster or the dog or grandma or a kid Mm -hmm. at school who lost a parent that it impacted them, but they didn't come home and talk about it. When you give kids the space to talk about it, they do. And we need to do that for adults too. Yeah. And I'm thinking about because I feel like I'm so far behind and I'm one of those people. I'm, I don't, I'm not afraid of funerals. I'm not afraid of talking about death. I just hate it. I'm, I'm awful with it. Like I know I'm bad at it. And so I don't even like, you got to catch me up on this Kubler-Ross thing being only anticipatory and like what happens afterwards. Cause it, to me, it's, it's, it's something where I feel very lost in talking about grief, which is ridiculous. Cause I'm a trauma therapist, but like for me, I can deal with certain types of grief, but like actual, like full on, you know, fill the room grief. I need, I need some guidance. So what, what's a primer? Obviously you can talk for days about this. And if people want to learn more about this, they need to read your books or like consult or that kind of stuff. But for our audience who is as unknowledgeable as I am, can you give us a primer? Well, Kuba Ross did us a great favor. She met with dying patients in the sixties and she documented in descriptive language what they were experiencing. And that's where she came up with the stages, which she always said were not linear, but Mm -hmm. they stages to people and they want it to be in a line. You know, you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you come to acceptance. And if you're dying, you pretty much do need to accept that you're dying because there's no way out of this one. You're going to die whether you accept it or not. So you just might as well get there. And not to sound crass, but hospice people have a weird sense of humor anyway. So forgive me for that. But, <laughs> but when you're, somebody, dying, you're dying. when you're dying, you're dying, you got to face it because it's coming. But when you have had a loss, you are in fact reorganizing your life, much like with trauma, you have to make that part of who you are and you have to figure out how to bring the person you loved who died into your new life and how to organize your life in a way that you can keep them with you, but you can take those parts of them, weave them into who you are now, make that loss part of you. The problem is lots of people then spend their lives identifying themselves by the loss, Mm. not identifying themselves as living their life. And these are the people I've lost. And these are the parts of them I carry with me. So that if those people come up in conversation, it's a normal, natural part of life. But it's not how I identify myself. I'm Jill, the licensed clinical social worker. I'm the grief therapist. I happen to have been widowed twice. I loved both my spouses very much. They're still part of me, but that's not how I identify myself. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm at the cemetery visiting my two headstones, then I'm, I'm a condo and I, I take it all. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> I've met you a couple of times at some live events and I steer clear from you just because talking about death is weird. <laughs> and then you bring in this kind of sense of humor and this levity about it that's just not a... a normal part of how our society addresses grief and so now you're twice weird removed from even me which you know that's saying something and you know this is this is normalizing it though this is you know a really great way of doing that and helping people get there and you know this might be part of your process this might be how you help clients get through it but there's got to be some unexpected consequences of grief that shows up for clients. And I'm wondering what kinds of things you can help us and our listeners prepare for in being hit by this, because whether grief is a part of our practice or not, it's going to show up in our therapy room. It does. And it'll show up in unexpected moments. 
grief is such an encompassing experience. It hits us physically and cognitively and emotionally and spiritually. And it also causes fractures in relationships that aren't expected. That's probably the number one thing is that you always, when there's, when someone's dying and when someone has died, those primary grievers always lose people because they aren't comfortable with the dying process or they don't want to be around a grieving person or they're uncomfortable with the concept of death. So they shy away. It's not intentional. I don't think they just mm-hmm. aren't okay with it. And parents who yeah. lose kids, especially notice this because parents with other small children, it's kind of like, well, maybe if your kid died, it's catching. And I know they don't think that way, but they just tend to shy away from those parents who've lost a kiddo. Likewise, yeah. couples tend to drop the single person who used to be a couple because mm. of all this awkwardness that they have about talking about the person who died. And so the folks who are grieving are sort of left floundering, thinking you're supposed to be my BFF right now. Um, you're yes. supposed to be my family. And where are you? They also find, though, that there are new people who step up and become part of their primary circle that they weren't expecting. So not only are they in grief coming to us and looking to us for how do I get through this process and why do I feel so tired and why does my brain feel like I can't function, which is true, you're not functioning, but then where did all my people go and what do I do with that? So there's a whole lot of in grief work just holding space. You just sit and hold it. And there's not a lot of direction in the first little bit other than to say, we're going to get through this and there's a healing and there is a chance for you to move into a new reconstructed life. You don't have to grieve forever. But initially it's just holding space and normalizing and educating because we don't talk about what grief does to us. I just, I think I'm thinking about a couple of different things. I think one of them is kind of Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. You had said earlier the knowledge that's not really knowledge that people shouldn't make big changes within the first year or whatever. It's what you're what I'm hearing you say this reconstructed self, it's almost natural for people to start reconsidering and and looking at how their life is constructed and what it means and how they're incorporating these other folks. If someone starts saying, I'm gonna take off and change my life completely after a very sudden tragic loss, um, traumatic loss, I mean, um, how do how do, do you recommend handling that? Because I think 
our common knowledge is that you say, well, whoa, 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 don't make any big decisions right now. So, so holding space, you know, I guess doing more what we typically do with big decisions for clients, which is helping them to think through it. But is, is that sufficient? Is there a danger if someone is making big decisions and dramatically changing their life right after? If there's been a a, traumatic traumatic loss, loss. I approach it differently. Um, With a traumatic loss, you have the potential for PTSD and Mm -hmm. really want to normalize what they've experienced what was it like to get that phone call? What was it like waiting for the coroner's office to release them? What happened during that call with the body, with the donation people who were trying to talk to you about donating body parts? Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk through that. Let's talk through the nightmares because typically there are nightmares after a sudden traumatic loss. And with traumatic loss, you also end up a lot of times with the primary grievers having been left out of a lot of the planning. So they Mm. didn't get to plan the funeral. They didn't get to pick the flowers. They didn't write the obituary because other people wanted to come in and caretake them, which is fabulous, except that it leaves them out. And sometimes things don't go the way they really, in hindsight, wish they had. So there's a whole different process with traumatic loss. And those folks are not likely to want to change their lives dramatically right away because they still need to work through the trauma. Then Then they may choose to shift it if they lost their primary person and... They're feeling kind of rootless. Once we've worked through the trauma, then we role play what it is that they're wanting to do differently and how that's going to help their new life and how that's going to help them identify with who they are now. Okay. Because when you have a loss like that, it changes who you are. Your role to the world changes. Your role with them changes. Your role with other people changes. How you cope at work changes. All of that. I have to imagine, and you've touched a little bit on this people in the same family can experience grief differently. And I work with a lot of adolescents. I'm sure that kids, spouses, parents are all going to look at something differently just based on developmental aspects. How might we recognize that this is happening? First thing I do if there's a family that comes in is I talk about the fact that everybody had the same loss and everybody had a different loss. Because if... Mm. If my spouse dies, then the parents of the spouse have lost their child, and my children have lost their parent, and the siblings have lost a sibling. So everybody's had a completely different loss. Likewise, if it was a long death or whether it was a sudden traumatic death, changes what that loss is experienced as. And then you have the developmental differences. Kiddos tend to do better with loss overall than adults do anyway especially if we give them space to do it and we allow them to still be kids. So with kids, I do a lot of normalizing for parents. Kids are going to want to do things like walk up to the casket and figure out how the hinges work. And Mm -hmm. they're going to want to write a letter or draw a picture, um, that sort of thing. But then they're going to want to go outside and play. And then they might come back and be sad for 10 minutes. And then they want to go have a cookie and, that's really normal. And we need to let them be kids because they're kids, but they've also had a loss. And then teenagers are almost adults, but not quite adults. And so they're more aware of, especially if it's a parent or an older adult loss, how that might impact their safety and their world. Because, you know, this could mean somebody else important could die. And what happens to me? Mm-hmm. If that happens, it brings on those kinds of developmental questions for them. 
adults, it's a totally different experience. And sometimes there's also conflict between a parent who's lost an adult child and the spouse who's lost the spouse in terms of yeah. who's who had the primary loss in this one, right? Yeah. So you really have to listen carefully and figure out, first of all, who your client is. And secondly, what their needs are and how they are coping with it. And sometimes you spread them out so that if there are other families, other parts of the family coming in, they can have a space to do their own grief away from the other people who are not understanding what their specific loss was. And I can imagine family roles and other dynamics just make this even more complex. And I'm not asking a question because this could, we could like talk about this for hours with the complexity that we're talking about, but just parentified children or, you know, an abusive parent that's died or, you know, there's just, there's a lot of complexity. And so just being able to hold the space and not being so tied to the Kubler-Ross stages of grieving. Right. (laughs) It just, it seems like this, there's, there's a lot more complexity here, which makes me feel better because then I don't have to know a specific thing. I just need to know a lot of things and hold a lot of space, but it feels a little bit more approachable than having to know some specific theory around how grief should happen. It sounds like we just need to let grief happen and be there and hold the space. We also want to help them identify who the person was who died. Cause we have this weird thing that we all do when someone dies, it, that person becomes an angel immediately, right? Oh. They're perfect. They've never done anything wrong. They, they are now unapproachably fabulous. And that's not can't real. speak ill of the dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when I die, I want someone to go into my funeral and talk about who I really was. And I want the kids to remember that if they did not get the dishes done before I got home, they would get the mom look and possibly the mom tone. That's the kind of stuff that we need to help our clients do so that even though they're surrounded by people trying to make this person an angel that they have to remember only in good terms. If there was conflict in that relationship, or even if they just need to remember the quirkiness, give them that space to do so, so they can grieve that person. Yeah. Not not the angel that's suddenly flown in from who knows where. You're a professional griever. Well, I I should back that up because (laughs) that brings up the image of like somebody who just goes to funerals and just stands in the background ominously. (laughs) uh, But as a professional grief whisperer. Yes. You are a lot more familiar in this, but people who haven't, been trained in grief or really become comfortable with grief as the clinician this has to be bringing up their own grief issues too as it's happening in the sessions how do you recommend handling that the one thing that grievers don't appreciate is having someone compare their loss to somebody else's loss if you Mm -hmm. go on any of the grief chat rooms you will see that 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 is one of the number one points of anger is, oh, but let me tell you about when I lost so-and-so. So mm-hmm. all of us need to keep our losses out. And yet we need to be transparent enough to acknowledge we've had losses because no human being on this planet has gotten to the point where they have a master's degree and a license and not had a loss. Yeah. It may not be a parent. You may still have your parents and your spouse, but at some point your dog died or somebody died. And yeah. they need to know that you have had some experience and you are not interposing it on theirs because everybody's grief experience is 100% theirs. And everybody's trauma is 100% theirs and there's no comparison. And other than that, I make sure if I am seeing a grief client that I have a half hour before and a half hour after to debrief myself 
take a walk, clear my head. I do a little journaling. You have to do some self-care, especially if you specialize in grief, because you're going to be absorbing a lot and you need to make sure it doesn't go home with you. And you need to make sure that you're not sharing your stuff. On the other hand, my clients find me online because I am a grief person. And a lot of them have read bits about my story. And so they may know that I've had losses and what they are. And in those cases, if they bring it up, I let that come into the interplay, but focused on them, not on me. Yeah. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think for me, what I always worry about, and I I had... Um, I think most of my grandparents, not all of them, but many of my grandparents died while I was a therapist. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there's obviously the knowledge that I have about how I process that. And I had a, you know, a grandparent die when I was a kid as well. So kind of how that all played out. So I can kind of have my experience and I'll need to make, need to make sure that I am not interposing that. But I think about the times when I was experiencing that loss and was grieving and how that came into the room for me. And I don't think I was savvy enough or had enough support to really make sure that it wasn't coming in. And so I guess using Kurt's term as a professional griever, how do you recommend therapists handle their own grief? Because I know it can feel, especially depending on the type of loss, you know, the the types of experiences, how you're grieving, it could be very different therapist by therapist, but I think having some ideas around what what's what are the best practices if you're a therapist that has a loss and you're continuing to be a therapist? First of all, you keep a really tight eye on yourself and you keep yourself in touch with where you are. I worked, in fact, all the way through the deaths of both of my spouses and the follow-up afterward um, in private practice. And I had to make sure that that stayed outside the room. But I did a lot of journaling and I have a business partner who also we do a lot of check in with each other. So I did a lot more of that. Um, I made sure I had a good support system to talk to. And I made sure I did not work as many hours as I normally do because I can be a workaholic at times. And I made sure I wasn't. (laughs) Um, That's a good thing to to tell me as well. Yeah, you you got to get exercise, (laughs) sunshine, all the usual stuff we tell our clients. We need to tell ourselves and double it over. And then we also need to make sure that if something is triggering us, we acknowledge it in the back of our heads. And then as soon as that client is out the door, we deal with it because it's going to come back in. And we don't want that to be identified with the client and we don't want the client to catch on to it. But you do have, you have to take care of yourself. It's as if, you know, when you have some kind of trauma in your life as a therapist, you can't bring that into the room. You have to keep that outside but acknowledge that it's there and deal with it. And if you need your own therapist, find them, but find a good grief therapist because some of them aren't very good. Yes, yes that's, that's absolutely <laughs> true. Maybe th- that's where we go next is what do therapists most often get wrong around grief? Oh my goodness. Can I give you a list? And, and I love that we acknowledge that we don't get training in this. I did my MSW at a great program and we didn't have a grief class. We also didn't have a business class to learn how to do what you guys do. We didn't have those, (laughs) like the practical nuts and bolts. We got what the theories were, right? 
And Satir didn't talk about grief. So that was her, her loss. We don't listen well enough because grief makes us feel powerless. Mm-hmm. And so we want to give ideas or make someone feel better. And the first few sessions, we need to focus on making our safe, our place a safe space. We need to listen really hard for what else is impacting the client in terms of grief. I'm naturally a social worker, so I approach things holistically anyway. I will frequently spend session three or four helping someone who's lost a spouse putting bills on auto pay because they're not remembering to do basic mm. stuff. Because when we are grieving, we, we our brains become fuzzy. It's like having cotton batting around our brains and we can't remember things and our response times are off and we don't sleep well. Therapists don't know a lot of the impact of grief on all of those specters. And so we say, well, you need to really work on your sleep hygiene. (laughs) (laughs) Grievers don't sleep. Every morning at 2 a.m., if you ask a client who's grieving when they come in, you know, how long has it been since you slept through the night? Instead of saying, tell me that you're sleeping, they're going to look shocked. If you say, when was the last time you talked to your loved one, the one who died? They'll say, oh, you know, I talk to them. Yes, I do know. Everybody talks to the person who died. We all do that. We continue to do that. We, we don't approach it as something that affects the client globally. And we also tend to make it some of those assumptions. Are you angry yet? Are you, have you accepted it yet? That kind of stuff. That we go back <laughs> Are to Are you in the bargaining stages. stage? Are you bargaining about it? <laughs> bargaining is not then. And anger may may happen because there may have been conflict, but anger doesn't have to happen. But clients need to leave that first appointment with me knowing that they are not going to feel this bad forever. It's not going to be that time heals the wounds. It's not going to be that we're going to wait it out. It's we're going to work through what has been left over. What didn't you get to say? What didn't you get to apologize for? What didn't they apologize for before they died that they should have? What important stuff was left undone? You know, who were they really? Let's talk those things through so that we have a realistic handle on what was lost and who was lost. And we finish the relationship. Because once you're finished with it, you can start reorganizing and making your life your own and making those parts of them part of your new life. But you're not living your life trying to finish what's left or with regrets. Mm. The regrets are what hold us back and keep us grieving. And then I do a lot of reframing. You know, if, if you are driving down the road and it's been six months and all of a sudden you're crying, to my way of looking at it, that's not you're still grieving. That is you're having a grief attack. You're missing them because something <laughs> triggered you. Just like with PTSD, yeah. we have triggers, we have grief triggers. Oh my, that's the restaurant where we spent our last anniversary. That's the, the playground where I took my kid the last time. You are going to cry and then you're going to get past that and you're going to remember the fun of pushing the kid on the swing in that park or how much champagne you drank at that dinner. And then you move back into having recovered and they're still with you as opposed to, oh, you're still grieving and you're going to grieve forever. If you hear those words, you really don't feel like there's going to be hope for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's like being Eeyore forever. Well, I would imagine also going the other direction of you're going to, you know, time's going to heal it. You're going to get over it. It's going to be fine. I could imagine, especially at the very beginning, that would feel awful. And we don't use those words. 
We never, ever with a griever say, get over it, get past <laughs> it. Oh, it's going to feel better. If they were telling you what they honestly thought, what the language they honestly would use, if they hear those words, you would be shocked. I also spend time with clients the first few times saying, what things have you heard that have not been helpful? What things have people said? I know they meant well, but what did you hear? I always get back, oh, you're so lucky. God needed another angel and they came and got them. Oh, Um, mommy is watching over you. Okay, that's creepy. I'm not going to take a shower again if mommy's watching me, right? (laughs) That kind of stuff. And they need space to talk about it because they can't tell those people what they really think about what they're telling them. Yeah. So much of this at the risk of oversimplifying this. It's normalizing it. It's creating the space to talk about it. It's accepting that there's odd and unexpected directions that it might come with this. This seems to be in the nature of close loved ones, but I've also experienced this coming through my practice of when celebrities die. Oh, yeah. And remembering, you know, Robin Williams or uh, Anthony Bourdain as being very topical news issues that affected clients very greatly Mm -hmm. and that this can come in any aspect of somebody's life. Absolutely. And those will trigger old grief moments that the client didn't even realize they hadn't finished. Anthony Bourdain died. You wouldn't believe how many people I heard about suicide from who had never talked about their best friends committing suicide when they were 14 or dying by suicide, I should say. And so when we have celebrities that die, we need to acknowledge it for clients who are talking about it. When um, Bush died, there was a lot of shared grief, no matter what the political background was, because they saw those family members who were unfortunately being broadcast all over the planet in their most intimate moments of loss. So we need to acknowledge that and also use that as a platform to help clients talk about where they've been before and how that's touching them. Our guest today is Jill Johnson-Young, the grief whisperer, the humorist, the rebellious widow, (laughs) the rebellious widow, the professional griever. Her business card is just going to be like seven or eight sizes (laughs) larger. For people who are interested in getting your services, your consultation, where can people find you? My website is www.yourpaththroughgrief.com. Surprisingly enough, because you do have a path through it. I have a site on Facebook with the same name, Your Path Through Grief. And you can also find my books on Amazon. So far, there are two kids books, one for someone who's having someone who's dying, one for kids who've had a loss. And then there's um, an adult workbook called Your Own Path Through Grief, which is very solution focused and has a sense of humor. Surprisingly enough, that's because I wrote it. And (laughs) the kids' books have um, helps for the back, and they're called um, Tips for the Big People. And they talk about how to talk to your kids because you're the big people and um, what to say and what not to say and gives the kids a book that actually shows someone in a hospital bed um, and talks about you can get in the hospital bed if a big person helps you. And it uses emojis to talk about emotions because that's what we do these days, right? Yeah. No more feelings charts. We have emojis. 
they stole those from us. <laughs> yeah. And um, so those are available on Amazon and they're, they're um, Amazon Prime. They're easy to get. And we'll include links to those in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And you can come and see Jill live and in person at the Therapy Reimagined 2019 conference. And (laughs) that'll be in Universal City on October 18th and 19th. We're going to have two days of bringing modern therapists together. This is uh, gracefully, graciously put on by uh, Simple Practice and Katie and myself. And we're thrilled to have Jill bring in her energy and her wicked sense of humor about everything and i'm just really looking forward to the excitement of yeah. everybody coming together yeah, uh, be, here in the los angeles it's gonna area. be a blast it should be a lot of fun you've got some great people coming so until next time i'm kurt widhelm with katie vernoy and jill johnson young thank you for listening to the modern therapist survival guide learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.